Now, you started touring way back in the day with Winton in the early days. So I know Jason is the youngest. When did he pop onto your radar? Well, I've known Jason since he was eight. Because <laughs> he came to Europe uh, in 1987 when I was uh, still playing with Winton at the time. And so I've known him a long time. And, and I knew I wanted him to join my group when he was like 14. I talked wow. to his dad. And we had like a three-year plan of <laughs> how we were going to do it, you know. Yeah. Mr. Marcellus wanted to make sure that he had all the fundamentals. He sent him to the Eastern Music Festival for percussion training and, you know, things like that. And of course, I wanted him to finish high school. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's just a delight. Now, unfortunately, he's actually not going to be playing drums on this gig. We're, he now lives in France. You know, he, had, he had to go back to France after we do our Chicago engagement, but we've got a young guy, Brian Carter, who's going to take his place, who, you know, we've been mentoring this young man now for a couple of years. Uh, and I have to say, Jason Marcellus, of course, is, is, is impossible to replace. <laughs> but I got to tell you, these young guys, they bring another perspective to the music. So I think people will still be very pleased with the show that they'll get because we're still going to play the music that we play. But I've always been a firm believer that mentorship and community are the two founding principles of jazz music. I think that's why it's relevant and always will be. Now, working with young musicians is something you've been doing for many, many years. Can you talk a little bit about the group that you work with and and how you do find all these young musicians? Well, me and my bassist, Rodney Jordan, we both teach at Florida State University, and that's where we have found a lot of these young people that we have uh, mentored. Some of them find you. They won't help, and they're, they're not bashful about asking for it, which I like that. You know, I like that in a young person because when we work with them and we explain to them the amount of work that's involved, we explain to them the, the majesty of all of the great men and women who have uh, laid the groundwork for what we're doing, that's really when you get to see of the young folks who's really serious about it because there is a point where you realize the amount of work that you have to do to even be good, much less great. But what it does is we have to reach deep in order to bring out their potential. So I've always believed that teaching and, and, and mentoring musicians makes you a better musician because you have to figure out a way to communicate your ideas in a way where the person can actually get it which means that they may learn it from you differently than how you learned it yourself. You have to have a very flexible understanding of how to communicate the information in a way where they can execute what you're talking about. I do uh, want to talk to you a little bit about stride piano because... It's so hard. You're so good at it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. (laughs) I love hearing you play stride. I mean, I love hearing you play whatever you play, but uh, when you're pulling out some stride that I just am just warmed to the core hearing you do that. So talk to me a little bit about your relationship to that style of piano playing and what draws you to it. Well, what draws me to stride piano is that those guys, James P. Johnson, Fastballer, Tatum, etc., Willie Bland Smith, Teddy Wilson, they played the piano in a way that made you want to dance and tap your foot. That's the bottom line. 
for me, the piano is has such immense possibilities of color and timbre and texture. And Strat Piano is one of the best ways to really get in touch with what those possibilities are. It's a style of, of piano playing that a lot of the early great pianists embraced it. I think it also makes you a more complete pianist because you, you have to deal with all seven registers of the piano to play it properly. Mm-hmm. So when you're not playing stride and you're playing in a ensemble situation, you still have access to all that information that, that, that you can glean from stride playing. And you can incorporate a lot of it in a modern context in the way that Thelonious Monk and Duke Ellington did. It puts you in touch with the original dance component of jazz music that made it popular. I'm curious for you personally, what are some things that you want to explore that you haven't had a chance to yet? Well, I want to continue to do three things. I have three main objectives now. One is to make as much of my own written music and arrangements available, especially to young people, and to produce a lot of educational materials that really explain at least the tools that I use to mentor musicians, because of course I can't, I can't be in every location, so I'm at a point now where I want to document and codify that. And then the final thing is uh, my big group that has a lot of young people in it called the Modern Jazz Generation. I would like to use that group because it's really not a traditional band, meaning that it's not a set number of members. It's really a community. It's an environment where we like to provide opportunities so that different generations of jazz musicians can mentor and support and help each other and inspire each other to play and an environment where hopefully we can draw more and more diversified people into the music. So those are really the the three main objectives other than continuing to want to play the piano better every day. one final question for you today and I'm curious who you find yourself listening to these days. Are you listening to older music, new music, or is it just always a mix? Usually a mix. Uh, lately I've, I've actually been listening to uh, a lot of Monk and, and I've been listening to uh, Beethoven Piano Sonatas of late mainly just to try to get more into how Beethoven somehow kept the piano interesting through all those sonatas. I mean, you could you could sit there and listen to four or five straight Beethoven sonatas and not be bored at all. Right. And, and that's because of his genius use of thematic development, but also his incredible understanding of register relationships with the piano and, mm-hmm. and all these moves that the piano can produce. And also, he used a lot of syncopation. I mean, he'd have been a great jazz musician, I'll tell you that. Oh, well, the second movement of the the last piano sonata has that whole, like, bluesy dotted eighth, sixteenth section that's crazy. Yeah, I know. It is crazy. And there's a lot of syncopation in 31, too. Uh, yes. Opus 110 in A-flat. It, it has a lot of... So, yeah, I think, I think he'd have been right at home. He'd have been right at home. 
I think the thing that makes jazz, in my opinion anyway, the music of the future, is that it really was probably one of the most authentic global musics because it's it's based on all of the principles that make our country great and diversified because it's inclusive. So some people learn jazz who can read music. Some people learn jazz, they can't read music. Some people learn it in the conservatory. Some people learn it in clubs. I mean, it's a very flexible music in terms of how you can get into it. And the other thing is that since our music is spontaneous and improvised, we're always in the moment. And we, of course, live at a time where, you know, a tweet can be sent out in two seconds and, you know, people are on Facebook and Instagram and all this stuff. And jazz symbolically foreshadowed all, all, all those things. <laughs> way back when it got started. So when people get confused about thinking a style is old, which is unfortunately what has happened in our culture, they forget that what really makes something old or new is relevant. Meaning, if you're hungry and somebody cooks you a good meal with a 300-year-old recipe, do you care? No. <laughs> <laughs>